Welcome to CPAC's Today in Politics. It's Wednesday, June 14th. I'm Julie Van Dusen. Here are the big political stories we're talking about today. The RCMP confirms more than 100 investigations are underway into foreign interference allegations. The RCMP is actively leveraging all tools at its disposal to combat foreign interference. We're working closely with our domestic and our international partners to take a multi-pronged approach and share as much information as possible. The NDP tires of waiting for the Liberals and tables its own pharmacare bill. We want to lay out, make it easy for them. Here's the legislation. You can take this, make it into a government bill, present it and pass it. Uh, we want to keep the pressure up. And the Prime Minister says he won't back down on a bill that would require tech giants to pay publishers for linking or repurposing their content online. Now, uh, Facebook is choosing to block Canadians' access to local news instead of paying their fair share. That's unacceptable. Canadians need to be able to access news. Uh, it's fundamental to our democracy. We're not going to put up with Facebook's bullying. Joining us is Joël Denis Bellavance, Ottawa Bureau Chief for La Presse. Good morning, Joël Denis. Good morning, Julie. Always a pleasure to be on the show. Well, that's wonderful. So we have a lot to talk about. Um, so there's there's a lot happening, especially just before the end of the session. Now, yesterday, the RCMP was before the committee. The head of CSIS was before the committee. What kind of things did you learn uh, about uh, foreign interference uh, by watching by seeing all that? Well, many things. First of all, one thing that is for sure is that this file is not going away. Uh, although the government may wish otherwise, this file is here until I think the government will launch a, a full public inquiry into this matter. So yesterday, yes, the RCMP uh, commissioner, Michael Dwem, uh, told the House of Commons that he was investigating or the RCMP was investigating um, allegations that Michael Chung was the target of uh, intimidations by China and his family as well. So that's news to me. And um, the uh, RCMP commission also mentioned that there were about 100 investigations in total dealing with the foreign difference. It just shows how big a file this is for our national security agencies. It will be difficult, though, for the RCMP, in my sense, to uh, make um, make sure that this case goes to courts. Why? Because we it's not a, a known fact, but um, intelligence gathered by... Um, CSIS, the spy agency in Canada, cannot be used in courts to prosecute people. So you cannot use it to lay charges. So the RCMP has basically has to start its investigation from from the beginning, from from scratch. Uh, maybe they'll be they'll be be used to some uh, information from CSIS, but they cannot use it in court. So that makes it very difficult to be able to prosecute anybody in court. So that's one thing about the RCMP. Uh, the other thing that we learned yesterday is that the director of CSIS also testified last night in front of another parliamentary committee, and he basically contradicted the Minister of Public Security at the time that the allegations, um, the, uh, there was a report uh, about uh, Michael Chung being the target of a foreign interference uh, that was produced by CSIS. That report, Mr. David Vigneault, the director of CSIS, said that was intended for the eyes of the public security at the time, which was Bill Blair. Whereas Mr. Blair testified uh, 10 days ago in front of the same committee that he never saw that uh, note. And uh, he was uh, under the understanding that that note was not you know, um, um, uh, serious enough for him to see it. Uh, as determined by CSIS director David Vigneault. So clearly, uh, there is two versions of events on that file. 
And that will probably put uh, the government again on the hot seat on the uh, foreign interference file today in the House of Commons. Right. So uh, so we'll expect Bill Blair. I mean, he's been talking about forest fires for for weeks, but yeah, this is no, a bit of a this is a bit of his own fire. He's got to put out because it contradicts what he said that he didn't know about this Michael, Michael Chong stuff. Yeah, exactly. Now, th there is a problem because in the House of Commons rules, the minister accountable uh, for the file uh, today is Marco Mendicino. Oh. And he will have to answer the questions posed by the uh, the uh, opposition parties in the House of Commons, not Bill Blair, because he's not no longer responsible for public security. He's at uh, um, uh, pr uh, pr protection um, preparedness. Um, right. Emergency preparedness. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, and then uh, that will leave it to us, I guess, reporters, to ask tough questions to Bill Blair today. <laughs> My <laughs> God, you need, you need a chart to follow all this, right? All the musical chairs yeah. and who said what when. Yeah, but, exactly. Um, but but also, um, I mean, uh, I, just on the on the foreign interference file itself, I mean, the, all that is very, very interesting. And the fact that Durham also said he's in, they're going to be investigating the allegations that um, Jenny Kwan, the NDP MP, yep. brought up uh, and Aaron O'Toole. Aaron O'Toole. And he also talked about um, the the, the so-called Chinese police stations. Yeah, that's interesting uh, because the current Minister of Public Security had told uh, that same committee a while ago that the police stations were all shut down in Canada. But there was some uh, information that uh, put that into doubt because we, I talked to the, some of the alleged uh, people who were around police uh, stations in Montreal, and he told me that, no, we're still functioning. We haven't seen the RCMP at all. So, again, contradictions Jeez. in that file. So uh, the government is not helping itself communicating properly. But the, the RCMP commissioner uh, confirmed that uh, the police stations were shut down yesterday, but no accusations were laid out, uh, laid against anybody in that file. And that's uh, um, interesting because uh, I will bring you to a case that was... Uh, um, um, uh, allegations, uh, well, accusations that were laid uh, against some people in New York City. Exactly. There was also a similar police yeah. station, yeah. and there the police arrested two uh, right. individuals and laid charges. Why can't we do that in Canada? As I mentioned, because we can't use um, uh, information, classified intelligent information from CSIS in courts to prosecute people. That's one of the things that and Mr. Vigneault, I want to go back to that, to his testimony yesterday. He said CSIS Act needs to be updated to take, take into account the modern uh, problems of uh, foreign interference and also how to deal with the classified information and maybe possibly use it in, in terms of uh, uh, in the courts to prosecute people. And that's uh, maybe uh, a step that the government will want to take after uh, maybe there is a public inquiry into this affair. Right, right, because it seems like all this very interesting information that affects people goes in goes into the Bermuda Triangle or somewhere. No the one knows hole. where it goes. The black hole. <laughs> the, the black hole. Yes. And if it happens to be about you, well, I don't know if ignorance is bliss, but maybe you'd want to know if if you're being targeted, right? So, yeah. okay, let's uh, let's just wrap let's just wrap this up by talking about uh, this topic anyway. Um, the Chinese interference file. Now the opposition parties that are supposed to be coming up with names and so on uh, and cooperating. I don't know if they've actually talked or you get the impression they haven't, but they're all kind of pulling out names out of a hat. And Blanchet yes. with the Bloc Québécois, 
he proposed some names yesterday, so he's kind of moving the file forward to replace David Johnson. That's correct. And that's uh, fascinating to watch because the Conservative Party will, does not intend to suggest name. And that's, I think, uh, is a weakness on the part of Conservative Party. Uh, that's what I, we were told by uh, senior Conservative officials. Same thing with the NDP. The NDP does not plan to propose names. So it, it's up to the Bloc Québécois, a separatist party, to try to protect Canadian democracy by proposing names to lead a public inquiry information uh, a commission into uh, foreign interference in Canadian elections. What, you by... think that's weird? What's wrong with you? <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> it's quite uh, paradoxal, as we say in French. You know, it's, it, it's a big paradox. Like The separatist party is leading the charge to get answers on Canadian elections interference, not the Conservative Party as much as the, the, um, the NDP. But maybe there's supposed to be some discussions between the Conservative leader Pierre Poilievre and Yves-François Blanchet about a, a, a common strategy to force the government to launch a public inquiry before the end of session. Time which is, is running next out. week, which is next exactly, week. Exactly, exactly. So time is running out for the parties and the government, opposition parties and the government to agree on a common uh, purpose, a common oh uh, road on, on this file. It sounds like a total puzzle, the whole thing. So, um, Absolutely. But fun to watch. So um, let's move on uh, quickly to pharmacare, because yesterday the NDP said, uh, look, uh, you know, part of our deal with you to keep prop you up as a government is you're supposed to bring in legislation for pharmacare by the end of the year. And here we are, June, we're heading into a break and then we, we're, we don't come back till September. So where's the pharmacare bill? So they, they basically table their own. Here, we've got one for you. Adopt it. Now what happened? Yeah, well, it's not going to go very far for one reason, because it, it deals with money. And the pharmacare establishing that program would cost over $20 billion. Uh, some numbers that I've heard from from uh, the um, parliamentary budget officer, namely. Um, so uh, and uh, the opposition parties cannot get a bill that deals with a lot of money through the House of Commons. And even private members bill is tough to get through. As of comments in a regular circumstances, imagine that with the yeah. price tag of over uh, 20 billion. So um, I know for a fact the and that may be the sticking point that will probably lead to the rupture of the deal between the, the liberals and the NEP. I know for a fact that the liberals will not implement Pharmacare before the end of this uh, mandate. Why? Because the price tag is too high and they need the collaboration of provinces, key provinces, namely Ontario, Quebec and other British Columbia and Ontario and Quebec do not want uh, to get into this and uh, in Ontario because of the price tag and in Quebec because there is, Quebec has its own already uh, provincial programs on, on pharma care so they don't need it so uh, it, it, it's almost a bill that will go nowhere it's destined mm -hmm. to go into the re recycle bill in eventually going into the Bermuda Triangle like everything else <laughs> another one there's a lot of place for that I guess <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, Jagmeet Singh would argue that you end up saving money in the end because you bulk buy, uh, you get into bulk buying of pharmaceutical products. His point is that the liberal government is in the pocket of big pharma and they won't do it because they've been lobbied like crazy by the pharmaceutical industry that doesn't want this because they'll lose money. That's the always the uh, the card that the, the NEP will be playing, accusing the NEP of being the market of big pharma. But it's more complicated than that, um, because if you bring in uh, pharmacare, um, that means that you deal with uh, some part of the uh, insurance uh, company 
because th th there is private uh, for, uh, uh, insurance for pharma care, and you know, uh, I have a private insurance that you know pay me pays my my medicine. So you need to get the uh, insurance industry on site, and there's a lot of resistance to get a national pharma care because how will that you know uh, help them or disturb their business? So it's it's a complicated file because you need the provinces to be on board, you need the insurance companies to be on board, and you need also um, uh, the the money to pay for the bill. And it's a quite expensive program. And already, you know, we've got uh, daycare uh, programs that is very expensive. They, and then the, the the government can only pay so much until you know deficit gets very very deep again. So. Right. It's uh, it's it's a difficult file for the government, but it will not happen under this government. I can assure mm. you that. Well, and so that mean that that mean that it may mean it may be the sticking point in the next federal budget that will be used by the NDP to say we're no longer part of that deal. Pull the plug. We have right. a federal election in twelve months. Right. So Jagmeet Singh said yesterday, no, this is not pushing me into an election right now or anything, but it could be the sticking point down the road. Yeah. It's probably the biggest thing. So that's why we're keeping if, an eye on it. Yeah, if if it's not part of the next federal budget. Exactly. It's to the next part, yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's move on quickly to yesterday, the prime minister, and he said it before, like, I'm not going to be bullied by Facebook. There's a bill in the Senate um, that uh, basically uh, pushes uh, the big tech companies like Facebook and Google to kind of share some of their revenues with, you know, they post news on there. Meanwhile, newsrooms are dying. So pick it up there. What do you think is going to happen with that one, C-18? Well, the Senate is supposed to pass the bill uh, this week uh, with some amendments. So that means it will go back to the House of Commons. But the main element of the bill will stay the same. So as you describe it, it would force the uh, big, uh, big tech companies to share some of their revenues with newspapers and news organizations across the country. Now, the we were expecting this because Meta and Google um, uh, they they, they uh, uh, describe their uh, plan very publicly that they would would block people from accessing news media content on their on their uh, platform and so the government was expecting it but it's it it gives the government a nice platform to attack the big Meta and the big company and then. Uh, in Quebec, particularly, and I don't know if any news organization in English Canada were blocked, but I know for a fact that La Presse was blocked on uh, on on um, Facebook. Same thing with Journal de Montréal. And Pierre Carpelado jumped the gun and said he does, he pushed the government to maintain the hard line on the big tech company. So oh. imagine that that's wow. you know, a winning card for uh, the liberals in Quebec. When you talk about culture yeah, access yeah, to. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, news in French. That is that is a winning card for the Liberals in Quebec. So that's why they're pushing this very hard uh, to get through uh, the, the the Senate in time for the end of the session. So it'll be interesting to see if this bill passes. If uh, Meta, Facebook, uh, you're looking at someone who doesn't even go on Facebook. So I'm throwing these terms around, whatever. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, <laughs> but the point well, is, are they going to keep blocking news? Are they going to? This is their way of protesting, right? Yes, and it's supposed to be a test. But that's right. how they describe it, the tech company. But they tried that in Australia, and it failed uh, because they com they made a huge mistake by blocking uh, access to uh, um, some information and was dealing with the national urgency. So they had to back down and back down totally. Will that happen in Canada? I think in the long run, I think uh, the government will win on that on that. Hmm.
Wow. Okay. So let's just touch briefly on a story that uh, my former colleague, Ashley Wright, uh, bro- uh, sorry, Ashley Burke broke last night for CBC. Uh, and and uh, that's basically that the public safety minister, Marco Minichino's office, knew for three months that serial killer and rapist Paul Bernardo would be transferred from a maximum to a medium security prison, but they didn't inform the minister. So Let's just end on this briefly. That'll be something to watch today, won't it? Marco Mendicino may wish that he was out of town right now. Absolutely. And that's a file, you know, that just shows that end of sessions for this government is very difficult because the bad news keep on rolling for this government. Um, and that, uh, you know, Mr. Mendicino will say that he was not aware that this staff knew. Maybe some of his staffs were not born when that uh, um, uh, the Paul Bermino file was uh, making headlines in the 1990s, but that's not an excuse. And that, to me, will probably um, um, ensure that the government, the prime minister, will conduct a cabinet shuffle and move Mr. Mendicino to another file because this is not the first uh, issues, <laughs> if I may say, that put him in the hot seat. Remember the uh, gun control file, yeah, the, yeah. the the uh, yeah. convoy file. He did yeah. not uh, communicate well. The police station file also, he had some problems communicating properly information. So that may be, uh, you know, the final nail in his coffin as public security minister. Right. So so we'll, we'll see what he says. But the point is, you know, you're implying that maybe some 22-year-old staffers yeah. never heard of Paul Bernardo, right? And yeah. so they're saying, who's this guy? Whatever. But, you know, if they didn't tell him for three months, they must That's... have known. Anyway, I guess we'll have to see what yeah. how he explains how he explains this. But I, I was just... And, and and just to point out, this is a very emotional file for many Canadians. Of course, and, absolutely. And, and, and I know he grabbed headlines a lot over the last few few days, few day, few weeks. The Conservative Party has been saying that we need to keep him behind bars. Yeah. Do not transfer him into. Well, a he will security. be behind bars. But the point is, they don't want him transferred from maximum. Exactly. They don't want to cut this guy any slack at all. They don't exactly. want him to have any fresh air or anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Mr. Marco Mendicino, I said that too publicly. You know, he wanted him to remain behind bar in the maximum security until the, uh, until, uh, until the end of time. But the fact that his staff knew about the transfer just shows a, another contradiction on, on that. Um, <laughs> this, is a, this is a day of many contradictions. Is what we find. Voila. <laughs> voila. <laughs> and where the Bermuda Triangle reigns supreme. So, Okay, uh, Joël Denis, go off and have a wonderful day. And uh, I will be talking to you soon. Yes, have a good day, Julie. Okay, that was Joël Denis Bellavance, Bureau Chief for La Presse. I won't give you a timeline, but I can say that the process will be similar to the processes that we have already had uh, for the appointments that we have already made. Now, let's take a look at what political columnists, commentators, and editorialists are saying today. In the National Post, Tasha Carradine argues Justin Trudeau must resist politicizing the Supreme Court. She writes, once Russell Brown's seat is filled, six of the court's nine judges will have been appointed by Justin Trudeau. And as anyone following the United States Supreme Court knows, even one judge can make a big difference. With so many thorny issues at stake and such partisanship and toxicity in the political arena, the last thing we need is an even more political court. In replacing Brown, Trudeau should eschew partisanship and simply choose the most qualified person for the job, regardless of gender, race, or political leanings. In the Globe and Mail, Andrew Coyne argues making a hybrid parliament permanent will only hasten its decline. He writes, 
No one who has sat in the gallery of the House of Commons can fail to be moved by the sight of those 338 MPs arrayed below them from every corner of this absurdly distended country of all heritages, a civics class cliche come gloriously to life. That presence has huge symbolic power, not only for the onlookers, but the participants. Not only does it project, it solemnifies. It signals something of importance is going on. Once the practice of hybrid parliament is entrenched, more and more MPs will take advantage of it. Certainly more ministers will, rather than face the wrath of the House of, in person. And once we go down this road, we can never go back. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will be in Bagotville, Quebec, to receive an update on the wildfire situation and meet with members of the Canadian Armed Forces. Later, he will be in Chicoutimi to meet with local community members who provided support to wildfire evacuees in Saguenay. Tonight, he will be back in Ottawa to deliver remarks at the Rising Up for Sexual Health reception. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will attend the National Caucus meeting. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will attend the caucus meeting. He will also speak with the media before attending question period. And Treasury Board President Bonafortier will visit the University of Ottawa to highlight a research initiative as part of the 2022 Canada First Research Excellence Fund. That's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, June 14th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. I'm Julie Van Dusen. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.